Hey friends, I hope you're all staying as safe and healthy and comfortable as possible, and that you're taking care of all the people and pets and plants that are important to you. I brought our dog Lola to a dog park yesterday, and, and it was a nice day in southern New Hampshire where I live. It was sunny and high 70 degrees, and there was a decent turnout at the dog park. There were probably about 16 dogs, including Lola, and uh, about 12 people, including myself. Anyways, I'm sitting on a long bench watching my dog play with all the other dogs, and there's a couple other dog owners on this bench with me watching the dogs. And this big guy comes up behind me and he puts this gallon jug of water on the bench right next to me. Now, at, at this public dog park, they've got a, all these dog toys and cleanup tools and barrels for dog poop and whatnot. And, and they've got these tin bowls for water for the dogs. So I, I'm sitting there watching the dogs play. And after a while, the dogs, of course, start to to get tired and thirsty, so they're they're drinking the water. And, and as soon as I see these tin bowls getting low on water, uh, well, I do what anybody would do. I take this gallon jug, and I, I uncap it, and I start filling the water bowls. And after I do this a couple times, the big guy says, Hey! And I look over, and he's standing behind the bench, and he says, That's my water. I brought that water for my dog. And I just say, Oh! And I don't apologize, I just put the water back on the bench. And this other guy sitting on the bench says to me, Here, you can fill the bowls with my water. And so I take the other guy's water and continue to fill these bowls. And while I'm filling these tin bowls, I look up at this big guy, who didn't like me using his water, and he's just scowling at me, man. And, and he's, he's a big dude. He's, he's got a, a green shirt and a black baseball cap, and he's unshaven. And, and it looks like this guy could beat the crap out of me. And I don't, I don't know what came over me, but in that moment, I, I wanted to pick a fight with this guy. And, and, and I'm not a violent man. I, I've got a temper, but, but I'd never raise my hands to any person or animal. But in that moment, I just thought, Andy, you should call this guy a selfish and then the C word. You know what I mean? You, you selfish, mm, you know? You know the, the word I mean. Now, I didn't do it, because like I said... This guy looked like he could break me in half. But but really, you bring an entire gallon of clean water to a dog park, and you put it on a bench that you're not even sitting on, and you don't expect anyone to, to use it to provide water to all these thirsty dogs? Come on, man. Now, if you bring water to a dog park and you're, you're not going to share it, carry it around with you. Otherwise, you're going to look like a selfish C-word. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, folks, you're listening to the People Are the Enemy podcast. I'm the host of the show. My name is Andy Mascola. In addition to hosting this podcast, I'm also a senior writer for the music blog Surviving the Golden Age, and I'm a self-published novelist. There are no ads on People Are the Enemy, and there is no Patreon set up for it. The only thing I've ever asked of listeners of this podcast is if you love the show, and if you'd like to help support it and myself monetarily, and get yourself or the reader in your life some quality fiction, please consider purchasing any or all of my books. All nine of my novels are available in both ebook and paperback format worldwide via Amazon. And if you don't use Amazon, you can find all nine of my titles in ebook format at Google Play. Just type my last name, M-A-S-C-O-L-A. That's how you'll find me on Google Play. If you prefer paperbacks but you don't use Amazon, you can find most of my titles in paperback format at barnesandnoble.com. BN.com if you have no patience. Now, if you've already purchased any or all of my books, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely appreciate your generous patronage. And with all that out of the way... Here's the quirky theme song.
Hello, People Are the Enemy listeners. This is episode 236 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Thanks for checking it out. Thanks for spending time. You're in the right place. This is a great episode. Our guest is the writer, drummer, civil servant, and Lego enthusiast Tom Beckett. Now, I first became acquainted with Tom in the early aughts. At the time, Tom was active with custom Lego creations, and he very much had his finger on the pulse of what was happening in terms of pop culture and technology. Uh, Along with his friend, Michael Reeve, Tom co-hosted one of the first podcasts I'd ever listened to regularly, a weekly show called Tomic, a combination of both hosts' names. Now, over the last almost 20 years, I've never lost touch with Tom. Uh, These days, we keep in sporadic contact via Twitter. Now, I've never met Tom in person, I don't believe we've ever even spoken. Now, I'm fairly certain Tom Beckett is my oldest, quote-unquote, internet friend. Now, uh, Tom and I had been tweeting back and forth last week in regard to certain happenings in British politics, and I thought, what better time to invite him on the podcast? After all, he's got a great voice, a, a very dry sense of humor, and excellent taste in music. So without any further ado, let's speak now with Tom Beckett. Hello, Tom, are you there? I am. Hi, Andy. Hey. Hey, thank you so much for talking with me, Tom. No problem at all. I really it's good to chat. Right on. Tom, you're, you're, you're from England, obviously. You currently reside in Colchester. Are you, are you in Colchester right now? I actually moved last year and haven't updated that bio. So I've moved to Wivenhoe, which isn't far from Colchester. Oh, okay. um, indeed, they almost touch each other. So I'm a little bit further down the road. Right but, on. Um, it's called Wivenhoe. Yeah, that's where I am at the moment. It's called Wivenhoe? Yeah, Wivenhoe. Um, I think an, a hoe is an area of sort of land near water, I think, or something like that. Okay. So there's lots of places around here which have that as, a, as an ending. The worst of which is called, there's a place, and I genuinely mean this is true, there's a place within a mile or so of here called Fingering Hoe. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> anyway, that, that's by the by. I'm not there. I'm in, I'm in Wivenhoe, which is a little kind of place on the Colne River on the east coast of, of um, England. Right on, right on. How was the weather in uh, Wivenhoe this weekend? It's been really hot today, actually. You know, kind of really hot in sort of UK context. It's 26 degrees centigrade, and I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit, I'm afraid. But hot, nonetheless. It, it's warm for here, definitely. Right on. Tom, I, I mentioned first becoming acquainted with you via your Lego work, specifically your minifig of the Falls lead singer and only constant member, Mark E. Smith. At, at the time, you'd been very into Lego, but not so much anymore, is that right? Yeah, not quite so much. Um, I did go through a phase which would have been about, what, 2004 to six or so, um, where I was just sort of making little custom minifigs and you saw the, the Marky Smith one and I really enjoyed doing that. And it helped that there weren't really many other people doing that type of thing at the time. Um, you know, there was this kind of little sort of community on Flickr of a handful of people sharing that type of stuff. Um, and then gradually, it just kind of as Lego created more and more of the sort of specific minifig sets that they've made, it sort of became a bit less of a creative thing because you could just find all of the bits and put them together and it just wasn't quite as fun and it became a bit more about collecting rather than creativity. And so much as I still love Lego, I don't, I don't, put, um, I don't put it on uh, the internet anymore. Aha. Uh-huh. When you'd create these Lego dioramas back in the day, uh, for instance, I, I recall you creating one of former U.S. Vice President Dick Cheney 
on that fateful <laughs> quail hunt where he accidentally shot his friend in the face. And uh, <laughs> the, the Lego diorama you created of this got picked up by the popular blog Boing Boing. Do you remember this? I remember it very well indeed, yeah. yeah. It was... I don't know whether it's the same nowadays with Boing Boing, but um, like it was, it was, it went properly viral as far as I, as far as I could tell. I was getting calls from like press agencies in Los Angeles and New York and stuff. Um, not long after that, so yeah, it was a weird time. When when you created create this specific sort of um, scene, this very specific kind of scene, do you do you only ever work with Lego that already exists, or did you have to? or do you have to, I should say, do you have to get Legos custom made for these types of creations? No, every brick that's that's in that set is one that, you know, you can just buy in any normal set. Um, and I've never customized bricks. Wow, so that, that Mark E. Smith face was actually a, a, a real minifig? Yeah, I think the Mark E. Smith face is the face of the Emperor from one of the Star Wars sets, oh probably my God. like a Return of the Jedi set. That's so creative. And obviously the hair is like spot on. And the face is spot on too. Right on, man. <laughs> Good for you. Tom, you're, you're a Beatles fan, as am I. Have you seen Peter Jackson's documentary series, Get Back? Oh, absolutely. Yes, I watched it twice when it originally came out and then i watched it in real time on each of the days in january oh wow um which was actually really fun to do and sort of turned it into a sort of weird um i don't know sort of like reality tv show um but with the beatles making let it be so um yes i love that show i think it i think it was amazing were there any surprises for you in terms of in terms of like you obviously are a beatles aficionado and you've You've read a lot of books on the Beatles. Was there anything that you saw on screen that, that you were like, oh, my God, I had no idea? I think the biggest surprise, as somebody that kind of followed the Beatles for a long time, is, like, how well they got on. Like, I know there's a fair amount of tension there and, you know, George leaves and there's there's certainly arguments and you can see why they split up, but... That sort of era had been sold to Beatles fans as being a time in which they basically never shared a word with each other, you know, and they would just sort of had their backs to each other and did their own thing. And that wasn't what that film showed at all. It showed four extremely close friends, you know, perhaps on the verge of a big change in their life, but um, but we're still extremely close to each other. And that, I think, was what I found most surprising about it. Very what about good. you? I was surprised by all the toast, actually. <laughs> There's a lot of toast, yes. <laughs> yeah, Beatles recordings seem to be fueled by tea and toast. Yeah. Primarily, yeah. I, I wanted to talk about another recent series based on a band, uh, that being the biographical drama Pistol, the Danny Boyle-directed yes. six-part miniseries about the Sex Pistols, drawn from Pistol's guitarist Steve Jones' memoir, Lonely Boy. Have you seen Have you seen Pistol in its entirety, Tom? I have indeed, yeah. Um, I I thought that was excellent, actually. I'm not a massive Sex Pistols fan. I mean, I'm not really a big punk fan, which perhaps we can get into in a moment. But um, but I so I kind of watched it thinking, well, we'll see what it's like. But I think Danny Boyle did an amazing job with it. It's really a kind of evocative of the time and the sort of grim dreariness of the late 1970s in the UK. And it was nice to see like uh, Vivian Westwood getting a bit more of a um, 
sort of key role in the whole procedure. So um, yeah, yeah I, I really enjoyed it. I'd say like women, women in general got a got a, more of a focus in it. I think. And I don't know how much embellishment there was. Like I'd had, I don't know if Chrissy Hind was as involved as she is portrayed in the in the film. You know, I knew she was there, and I remember a story about her once trying to drag Sid Vicious to, so to get like a marriage license. I don't, I don't think that was included in in the in the series, but I remember I think that story from one of John Lydon's um, memoirs. But uh, yeah, like I like I think I agree absolutely that Vivian Westwood had a larger hand in it. That women in general had a larger hand in it, and even like I I appreciated the detail and the real in depth. Uh, the, the you know the stories that were only ever partially like I only knew a little bit about like the 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 Polly uh, character with the you yes know, with Polly's the, diary yeah not to give anything away but like you know that that whole character and that she got such a huge role in it and then also. Shoot, and I'm I'm drawing a blank on the fella's name. Um, Virgin Records fellow there. Why can't I think of his name? Uh, Richard Branson. Thank you, Richard Branson. In the scene on Richard Branson's boat, when they go like, yes. like I love that. Like, cause I'd heard about that, and then but when they recreate it, it was just kind of like, well, I'm glad they recreated this scene. This kind of like esoteric moment in in the band's history. You know, and that was fun. But, uh... Yeah, exactly. And it's in some ways, like, the Sex Pistols story is like a perfect sort of five-part drama, really, isn't it? It's like, you don't, they didn't need to spit it out to kind of fill the, the, the space. But actually, they didn't really need any longer either, because it basically takes place over a period of about 18 months. So, yes, for yeah, sure. It's a, it's a cool little story, really. No doubt. I don't, I don't know if you ever saw uh, The Filth and the Fury, that, uh, that documentary. Yeah, and, the Julian Temple one. Yeah, I I love that documentary. I think it's yeah. uh, I think it's so well done. Um, I, it's strange. I saw like a recent list of, uh, I think it said like the twenty best music docs, and that one wasn't included. And I thought, wow, out of twenty, you don't consider that one one of the best? Because I I really I really love that documentary, but um, and and obviously I, a lot of a lot of what I you know when I think about the Sex Pistols, I think about that documentary, if only because I'd seen it so many times. But uh, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's, to condense it into that uh, a six part series, yeah, it, it fit very nicely, very nicely. Tom, yeah. how do you how do you most often listen to music? Do you subscribe to a streaming service? I do. In fact, I subscribe to two streaming services because most people use Spotify. I use Spotify as well, but primarily just because that's where people share. Um, you know, playlists and stuff. But primarily, I use Apple Music, um, which. I feel it makes me feel like I'm a bit of a sort of weird kind of old person nowadays because it, it doesn't seem to be the one that most people use. But the thing that I really like about Apple Music is that you can put in downloaded music and it just sort of goes into your library and it all is just treated as being the same. Um, and, and yeah, it just kind of means that you can download something from Bandcamp and just plonk it straight in there and it will sync across all your devices. So I, I, that's a, just a killer feature for me that I've never been able to give up whenever I've tried using Spotify. Either. That's a great feature. So you're saying you can sync Apple Music with Bandcamp? Well, not quite sync Apple Music with Bandcamp, but you can download MP3s from Bandcamp, plug them into Apple Music, oh, and, I will, see. and you know, and it will upload them if you've got the iCloud thing, right et cetera, on, etc. Cetera. But it'll do it, and and it works pretty well. Um, and at the beginning, when Spotify was first around, like that felt like a total killer feature for me because I, you know, like 
the Beatles weren't on Spotify, you know, like, and I want all of my music to be in one place when it's on my phone. Sure. So, um, so yeah, I've always kind of felt that that's a feature that I can't live without. Right on, man. Right on. Uh, Tom, on your blog, you recently posted a list of 10 albums from the first half of 2022 that you're enjoying. And I I wasn't sure, were they in order in terms of like your favorite to your least favorite of the 10 or were they just, just, yeah, they are in order. Yeah, listeners, yeah. listeners, you can find this list on Tom's blog at tombeckett.com. I'll put a link to it in the description of this episode. Anyway, Tom, of the albums you, you posted, I, I've heard about half of them. And, and I also made a list for myself last month of my 10 faves of 2022 thus far. And there were two albums that fell on both of our lists, one being uh, Charlie XCX's Crash and uh, Jenny Haval's Classic Objects. The one album that surprised me most from your list was was the Father John Misty album, the latest one, Chloe in the Next 20th Century. This is one I, I wasn't able to get into, and, and I'm a fan. You know, I, I, I loved his first three LPs. Were you at all a fan of Father John Misty's earlier albums? Yeah, I've always I've always been a fan of Father John Misty, you know, right from, you know, when he sort of left Fleet Foxes, I guess. Um, and I've, I really enjoyed Chloe in the, the 21st Century. Um I, I think I said to you on Twitter that, like, Father John Misty's an artist that I sort of can take in smallish doses. You know, he's not somebody that I could envelop myself in for days and days and listen to only his music because his sort of sardonic, cynical ac- attitude isn't something I can deal with in massive doses. But I really enjoyed um, Chloe. I particularly thought Q4 is a really great melody and a great song, and that was the sort of the sort of hook track that got me into the album. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to have to take another listen. I, and I may have to, I may have to backtrack because I've, I've heard select tracks from the 2018 album, God's favorite customer, but I haven't heard it from mm. beginning to end. Maybe that'll help me bridge the gap and enjoy his latest one more. Have you ever seen him in concert? I have. Yeah. I saw him again, probably around the time of that first album, maybe even a couple of times. And he's a great performer. I mean, he's got a beautiful voice, which, you know, makes a big, big difference. But um, yeah, he's a, he's a fun performer. He's got a great sense of humor. I really enjoyed him. Very cool. Yeah. I saw him for the pure comedy tour and I really, really enjoyed uh, it also. Excellent. Uh, Tom, when was the last, what was the last concert you attended? Oh, now that is a good question because I, that will be pre pandemic. Um, I think it was probably uh, the 2019 Glastonbury would have been the last gig that I went to, um, which obviously is kind of quite a lot of gigs. But um, but yeah, that would have been that would have been the last live music, really. Very cool. Any memorable performances? Uh, anything stand out in particular from that uh, 2019 Glastonbury? Stormzy was absolutely amazing. Do you know Stormzy? I do. I do. But only only as much as I've read about Stormzy. I, I can't say I, I, I can name any songs or anything like that. Yeah, he's one of those artists that, like, he's very big in the UK. Yes. Um, but I just, I kind of wondered how much that had made its way across the Atlantic because it just doesn't quite seem like the artist that would do all that well in America. Yeah, it's, but, it's um, British hip-hop, basically, right? Exactly that, yeah, yeah. It's it's British hip hop. He kind of came out of um, what's called the grime scene, which is kind of the early two thousands. It was like Dizzy, like we know Dizzy Rascal, yeah, and yeah, Stormzy. exactly. Yeah, and That's I think the same place that Dizzy Rascal came from. Yeah, and like Kano. There's a few others um, that are all part of that same scene. But he's nowadays 
um, kind of by far the most famous and successful. But this was his first time headlining Glastonbury. He'd only put one album out at the time. So it was quite a risk sort of putting him on next to, you know, like this year's headliners were like Paul McCartney and Kendrick Lamar. Um, but he really pulled it off and and it was an amazing show and he had just enough kind of hits to keep it going, brought on the right guests and just, yeah, really blew the crowd away. It was just masterful performance. Right on, right on. Tom, I, I remember you being an Alan Moore fan. Are you still a yes. fan of Alan Moore? Yeah, I love Alan Moore. Um, I, yeah, I'm a massive fan. I, um, I'm still looking forward to his book of magic that um, he's had promised for what must be probably the entirety of the time that we've known each other. Now, is that one, is that one coming out this year? Because I, I, rem, I read recently that he's got a short story collection and a new quintet of fantasy novels due at some point. Is That's that, right. Or is that something completely... Sh- I don't think that the Book of Magic is included in those. Okay. I'm not entirely sure whether he finished it. So the co-author that he was working with, whose name totally escapes me at the moment, he might be called Steve Moore, actually, no relation. Um, died a few years ago, and I don't know whether Alan Moore um, sort of abandoned the project when when Steve died. Um, but yeah, it always looked like a really interesting project. It's basically, I don't know if you've read Perithia and and some of these more sort of esoteric stuff, but it was it's kind of like his book of magic, basically, and his explanation of what he thought magic was. And I was always really interested to read that. I don't remember whether or not you're a Neil Gaiman fan. Are you? I certainly am, yes. Are, are you excited about this upcoming Sandman series on Netflix? Yeah, excited and sort of scared, Me I guess, too. in equal measure. Yeah, <laughs> I'd say that's exactly how I feel. My cousins were asking me, like I said, I was, just, I was just telling you, I was talking to my cousins before you and I were speaking. And uh, I felt the same way. I'm, I'm, I'm excited and a little nervous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I don't think that there's anything that I've seen so far that I would even change, you know, like it, it really does feel like the, the feel seems right. The casting seems good. The fact that Neil Gaiman is heavily promoting it is a pretty good sign as well. But uh, I don't know. These, it's, it, I just can't imagine what it could look like because it's such a, it's so designed for the comic medium that I don't know what interpreting it into real life is going to look like. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to see. It'll, it's going to be interesting. But yeah, I feel similarly. I've got a few quick questions here, Tom. Sure. But if you feel like you want to take longer with them, absolutely go ahead. But these are sort of questions that came out while I was putting these together. And I said, boy, I'd like to know this. And I'd like to know this. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. Is British chocolate better than American chocolate? Um... I think British chocolate is better than American chocolate, but I guess I've got used to British chocolate. Do you think American chocolate is better than British chocolate? I, I, you know, it's been a long time since I've had British chocolate, and and I know it's not as sweet, if I remember correctly, and that that may be what puts me makes me a little bit biased, if only because I'm used to it. And I think I think just like anything, if you have a coffee with more caffeine, it's kind of like that's what you get used to, and that's what you enjoy. So exactly not. And so, yeah, like it's the childhood of my youth. So it's kind of, it is chocolate as far as, as far as I'm concerned. Um, And so, yeah, I can't, I can't really sort of tell, tell you whether it's better or worse, but I certainly prefer it. Have you ever had a s'more? A s'more? Um, yes, I have. I only asked that because I'd heard recently that, uh, uh, that many British people weren't familiar with s'mores, and they're kind of like an American tradition. But, it's like uh, a gra- 
you call them graham crackers, don't you? We call them uh, digestives. Yeah, so it's, it's a like digestive a, biscuit. It's and a graham cracker and chocolate. It's a graham cracker uh, sandwich with a uh, uh, um, with chocolate and a marshmallow. Yeah. Yeah. Does did your sister still work in Detroit? I think last time. Uh, I... That's right. Yeah, my sister and her family still live just outside Detroit. And you've been to America. I have been to America. I've been to. Um, been to New York a couple of times, and I've been to see my sister in in, uh, in Michigan. Have you ever fired a gun? I have never fired a gun. No. Good for have you. Have you fired a gun? What's that? Have you fired a gun? I have. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, mean, I, I have. It's always more likely that if the two of us that you would have done. What was your, ex- <laughs> what, what, what was your experience of it? Uh, it was okay. I. I was visiting a friend in Pennsylvania, and he said, we're going to shoot guns. And I said, okay. And uh, this amounted to us uh, going out to a, a field and uh, him setting up some cans. And it's sort of like the, the scenes you see in sort of like a movie where there's, you know, a southern gentleman. <laughs> or, you know, just uh, hillbillies, if you will. <laughs> just kind of like, you know, shooting at cans. And that's exactly what we did. And I was terrible at it. <laughs> and I didn't get any kind of charge out of it. And I, I hate guns. So, uh yeah, but you know, you do things, you make compromises, I suppose, when you're you're visiting friends. When in Rome, you do as the Romans do, right? Well, and I, I don't think I would have an issue if somebody offered me the opportunity to fire a gun in a controlled setting to like give it a go. Sure, I would never own one, but like, yeah, you know, I guess I'd be interested to see what my reaction to it would be like. Do you have a driver's license? I do not have a driver's license. No, I have. I have driven cars. I took some lessons for a while, but um, I've never completed my driving uh, course, and I don't own a car. Right on, man. I, I wish I didn't own a car. Here's, <laughs> honestly, you know, you know, it's a little more spread out here, as you as you know. So it's 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 tough to get yeah. to anywhere without a car, and. Uh, um, but uh, okay, what, a couple more questions, Tom, and I appreciate you answering all these. Thank you so much. Here's a question, another a question based on cars. Do people in England put bumper stickers on their cars, like political bumper stickers? Do, do you see that at all? You see a handful of them, but nowhere near as many as you see in the States. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just not really that type of a thing um that, you know, that lots of people do. I mean, like, you see slightly more of this just sort of, pure joke ones rather than sort of the political joke ones that you see in the States more about. Um, but generally speaking, people just don't put stick many words on the back of their cars. Right on. Very good. Very good. Well, I, I got one more question for you, Tom. Uh, and you can, you can answer this as could be something in your personal life or it could be something in popular culture. The question is, what are you most looking forward to in the second half of 2022? Oh, that is a good question. I mean, I, I know that we've spoken about it already, but it probably is that Sandman Netflix series. Very I, cool. I really want to see how that turns out. Um, which, yeah, isn't quite as highbrow as I might have liked to have uh, put something forward. But um, but it is the Sandman's the one that's preoccupying me. I would say. Very cool, Tom. Thank you so so much for talking with me today. This has been so much fun. I really really appreciate your time. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Right now, we're going to hand things over to our friend Rachel with the Chart Chat. Take it away, Rachel. Thanks, Andy. Hello, and welcome back to Rachel's Chart Chat for another week. Thanks to everyone who listened last week, especially Tavy, who sent me a great Chris Christopherson video from the Free to Be You and Me special. Also, it seemed like South Central Rain, in parentheses, I'm sorry, kicked off some big discussions. And now it's a new week with two new slash old hot 100s, so let's do it. 
For the 70s chart this week, we're in June 30th of 1979. Starting off at number 83, we have Peaches and Herb with We've Got Love. And this is off of the same album as their big hits Shake Your Groove Thing and Reunited. So this really didn't have to be any good at all with those monsters on there. But you know what? I actually kind of like this one. And it makes me want to listen to the rest of their album. Uh, We've Got Love made it to number 44. At number 78 is Patrick Hernandez, a French singer, with his disco smash, Born to be Alive. And this would go on to hit number 16 on the Hot 100, and it was a number one hit on the disco chart. And it's been used in films, including Skate Town USA, which was part of the roller skating movie fad of the late 70s and early, like literally like 79 and 80, uh, with Roller Boogie and then Xanadu. And it's also in Vegas Vacation, which means this is the second single from a European artist used in a National Lampoon's Vacation movie that's been on our chart picks. You've probably heard this one. I just think it's a lot of fun, and I don't know why it was never on any of those pure disco CDs. But At number 64, we have our jazz fusion buddies Spira Gyra with their song Morning Dance off of the album at the same name. And this would go on to hit number 24, and it was a number one hit on Adult Contemporary. And I included these just, I think it's it's interesting to me that these were, in, you know, I, to me they seem so esoteric, but they were in the Billboard top, you know, top 40. And I feel like maybe people need music to listen to while they're studying or working, and I think uh, that a lot of their stuff would fit the bill for that. Moving on, at number 55, we have a song called Kiss in the Dark by Japanese duo Pink Lady. And uh, this was their only top 40 hit in the United States and actually it was the first U.S. Top 40 appearance by any Japanese artist since Kiyo Sakamoto had Sukiyaki in 1963 and that was number one for him but Pink Lady only made it to 37 with their song. Pink Lady is fascinating. I think many, if anyone has heard of them in the United States it's probably for their short-lived variety show called Pink Lady and Jeff. And you can learn more about that on our own uh, King of Janitors, Tommy Tallahassee, had his podcast that did an episode on that, and I'm really excited to listen to that. And Pink Lady was two women, they went by their nicknames Me and Kay, and they were pop idols in Japan, and they were really huge over there. And just didn't quite uh, click with the American audiences, but definitely read up on them, it's very, very interesting. At number 46, we have Go West by The Village People. And this would only make it to number 45, but I think it took on a second life when the Pet Shop Boys covered it in 1993. And maybe you've heard their version, but go back and listen to the Village People's version too. I read on Wikipedia that the song has the same chord progression in canon and D, which to me gives it kind of a slightly sad or melancholy feel. I I really like this one. I think it's a lesser known Village People song, but uh, get into it. At uh, number 31, we have Jay Ferguson with his song Shakedown Cruise. And this was at it. That's as high as it would get, 31. And he had an earlier song called Thunder Island, which is a bigger hit, made it to number nine. I really like this one. It's kind of in that 70s tradition of story songs. And this one I really got to know from being played on 70s Saturday night on Star 102.5. And I read uh, that Jay Ferguson went on to have a career in film and TV scoring, and he actually composed the Office theme song. At number 15, we have Shine a Little Love by ELO. And when I heard this one, I thought to myself, oh, this is their audition for Xanadu. I think it really it shows how that tr- their sound transitioned um, around this time. And this could have, to me, been easily been on that soundtrack as well. Um, this was the first single off of their Smash album, Discovery, and it would go on to make it to number eight in the United States. And finally, at number two, we have Donna Summer 
uh, with her song Hot Stuff, which would eventually go on to be number one hit. And I mentioned this song because uh, during this chart uh, in the AT40 airing, uh, Casey made a note that this was a chart feat for the top five songs for the week were all from female artists. And that also included Ricky Lee Jones, Sister Sledge, and Anita Ward. And Donna Summer actually had two songs in the top five. The other one was Bad Girls. And I learned on Wikipedia that uh, Jeff Skunk Baxter of Doobie Brothers and Steely Dan fame did the guitar solo on this one. So that's kind of why I wanted to include such a song that you already know. You learned some new facts. Uh, turning to the 80s, we're going to the chart from July 4th of 1987. And starting off at number 100, we have a song called Certain Things Are Likely by the group English group KTP. This will go on to make it to number 97. Uh, but oddly enough, I read that it went to number one on the Dance Club Songs chart. And KTP had formerly been, no- been formed in 1980, and they were known as Kissing the Pink. But by 1985, they changed their name to just the letters. At number 83, we have, staying in the UK, we have White Snake with their song Still of the Night. And this would go on to hit number 79. This is the first single off of their album, White Snake. And you may know this one more for having the song Here I Go Again on it. And that went to number, that came out a little bit later and it went to number one. And I don't know why there was such a gulf in between the chart performances on these songs. Because Tawny Katan was in the video for this one too. So, Also, I just think it's funny that there's a famous doo-wop song called In the Still of the Night. Uh, that was done by the Five Satins and later covered by Boys to Men. And they, just, to me, could not be more different. Uh, but I like both of them. Uh, at number 54, we have Right on Track by the group The Breakfast Club. So I had known that The Breakfast Club had some affiliation with Madonna, but I wasn't sure what it was, so I wanted to read up on it. Uh, Madonna had just not been in New York City very long. She got involved with a musician named Dan Gilroy, and then she got the opportunity to go tour with Patrick Hernandez, who was in our 70s chart. Uh, when she returned from that tour overseas, she started this brand, The Breakfast Club, with Dan Gilroy. Um, she was their drummer. She wasn't in the group for very long, but The Breakfast Club stayed together in different permutations. They released a few singles. Uh, and then 87, they had this album, self-titled, with Right on Track on it. Later on, Randy Jackson, post-Journey, pre-American Idol, had joined the band on bass. And Right on Track was, their own, was The Breakfast Club's only top 40 uh, U.S. hit. At number 52... We have The Outfield with their song Since You've Been Gone. And I enunciated that because there seems like there's a lot of songs that are either Since You've Been Gone or, you know, you've, and hardly any of them are covers. But this one made it to number 31, and it was the first single off of their second album. At number 48, we have The Whispers with their song Rock Steady. This will go on to hit number seven, and I read that that was their highest charting appearance on the Hot 100. And we had another song of theirs on the charts, uh, and the beat goes on from 80. And one thing I like about uh, Rocksteady is I remember it from when I was a kid, and also I learned that it came off of their 18th album, and they called it Just Gets Better With Time, which I kind of love that. At number 36, it's Back in the High Life Again by Steve Winwood. And this will go on to hit number 13. And I read on Wikipedia that Steve did lead vocals, synth piano, synthesizer, drum machine programming, mandolin, and Moog bass on this track. And it's just a classic. I really like it a lot. Always puts me in a good mood. 
At number 20, we have Gloria Estefan and Miami Sound Machine with Rhythm Is Gonna Get You. This will go on to hit number five. And I was reading up on kind of how the, the credits for these albums. Uh, this was actually the only one that was credited as Gloria Estefan and Miami Sound Machine. Before that, it had just been Miami Sound Machine. And after that, it was just Gloria Estefan. But this is a great one. You have the chanting at the beginning and um, just a lot of fun. I feel like a parallel with Shaka Khan and how it was like Rufus and then Rufus featuring Shaka Khan and then it was kind of just Shaka Khan. And finally from the 80s this week we have Bob Seeker at number 3 headed to number 1 with Shakedown off of the Beverly Hills Cop 2 soundtrack. And there's a great quote that I read a few years ago um, as pertaining to how Glenn Fry was offered the song first after he had done The Heat Is On from the first Beverly Hills Cop uh, but it didn't work out for him to sing it and it was given to Bob Seeker. In a reference I own, the Billboard Book of Number One Hits, it says that after Shakedown went to number one, Seeger received a congratulatory phone call. Quote, Glenn Fry called me up and said, at least we kept the money in Michigan, because both of them are from the Detroit area. And then the kicker to me is that The Heat Is On had only made it to number two uh, for, for the first Beverly Hills Cop, but then Shakedown was a number one hit. And that was Bob Seeger's only number one hit on the pop charts, unfortunately. Well, that's all from me this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and back to you, Andy. Thank you, Rachel. Awesome, awesome job. You know, so much of that music, not so much from the 79 chart, because I was very young, <laughs> but the 87 chart kind of... I remember hearing it. It was sort of like, uh, because those were all fairly considerable, considerable radio hits, it kind of sits in my brain in weird places, and listening to... Rachel go over that chart and mention these songs and play these snippets. I kind of like, yeah, it reminds me of walking through a mall when I was a younger man and hearing that song over the uh, over the intercom or the speakers or in a store or driving with my mom brings back some some nice memories because uh, those you know pop songs and that was right you know an impressionable age I think it was a uh, early teen and uh, right before I was introduced to you know. Uh, punk rock and uh and uh, you know when i hit high school basically I, my world changed as far as music was concerned i started listening to a lot more alternative music and of course in the late 80s and early 90s as you well know uh the music uh, music in america completely changed but uh yeah those those early synth driven uh hits i say i say early my for my early teen years uh, they 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 kind of they kind of sit weirdly in my mind and, and and when i when i hear them they bring back uh kind of sense memories of of that time of the uh that that uh, those early teen years for me and wherever i i happen to be really uh, fun to uh, fun to travel down memory lane with Rachel she does a great job and uh, i'm uh, very appreciative of the work that she puts into this chart chat every week on this show. Folks, this has been episode 236 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as $1.99. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you, Rachel from Des Moines. Thank you, Tom Beckett. We love you. Peace.